hope is safe within your name. This we know, this we know. You promise never to forsake. What you began, you will sustain. This we know, this we know. I will call upon the Lord, for He alone is strong enough to save. Rise, your shackles are no more, for Jesus Christ has broken every heavens and the earth announce the fullness of your word this we know this we know every enemy will flee as we declare your victory this we know this we know, I will call upon the Lord, for He alone is strong enough to save. So rise, your shackles are no more, for Jesus Christ has broken Jesus' name will break every stronghold. Freedom is ours when we call his name. Jesus' name above every other. Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Jesus' name will break every stronghold. to save. Rise, your shackles are no more, for Jesus Christ has broken every chain. I will call upon the Lord, for He alone is strong enough to save. Shackles are no more for Jesus. 
Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mountain fixed upon it The mount of God's unchanging love Here I raise mine Ebenezer Hither by thy help I'm come And I hope by thy good pleasure Safely to
us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful uh, for the, the, what we have in Jesus. Um, we're thankful for the life that you give us, the hope that you give us. Lord, on a day like this, when, when we're voting on new pastor, Lord, there truly is a lot to be said in these songs and what we're singing. That, Lord, my prayer for this church is that um, you will give us faith to, to trust beyond what we see that you will broaden the scope of our vision, that we will see people, that we will see circumstances like Jesus sees them, that that will respond in faith to you, that, that we will not grow weary, we will not stop doing what you've called us to do, but Lord, as this new day dawns, we'll give you praise because we believe you hold new days in your hands. So, Lord, we pray for new life, new faith. We, we pray that, Lord, you will expand the vision of this church. And truly, Lord, we will be the people that you want us to be. Now, Lord, this service is yours. As our speaker comes, we pray, Lord, that you will make our hearts tender, our ears open. Lord, our hands and feet willing to move as you would have us move. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus who came and died and rose again so that we could have life in this place. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. It is my uh, privilege to welcome my friend, Dr. Doug Van Nest. I've known uh, Doug for, for more than 20 years. Uh, you were actually at Mid-America when I was there, but I think you spent more time in the library than I did. And so we did our passes didn't cross too often, uh, but uh, I've known him for the past 20 years. He taught me in the course of study and a tremendous teacher, one of the one of the best teachers I've ever had in any forum uh, across the board, and always appreciate his teaching. He's He's been my I, he was my predecessor at Trenton Church of the Nazarene, and so I told everybody Friday night, I got to blame him for all the problems when I went to pastor there, and that was great, and I'm sorry I did that. Uh, and then he was my district superintendent and led me in that way. And then the last few years, he has been uh, on at Mount Vernon Nazarene College as a professor and has been heading our ministerial students. And so why don't you welcome him this morning? Well, good morning. So good to be with you this weekend, and I just uh, appreciate the opportunity to be with you these few days and to talk about discipleship uh, that is so uh, meaningful to me and such a, a critical issue, I think, for the church. And, you know, the last uh, few times together here, Friday night, we talked about prayer, and then we talked about service, and then we talked about discipleship and relationship with one another and how all of those things are integrated into life. And today we're going to talk about worship as an expression of discipleship. And we're going to get there eventually. But I also thought it would be good for us as we enter into Holy Week to think about the cross. To think about what the cross means for us. And as we do that, we might just discover how all of these things, the cross and discipleship and worship, are really deeply, deeply connected. And so I'm going to invite you to look with me to the Gospel of Mark in chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 27. Mark 8, 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, 
who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Back in 2016, I went through a transition and I left my role as district superintendent to go to Mount Vernon Nazarene University as a professor of pastoral ministry. And to be honest, going into that role, I was really nervous and I was feeling just deeply insecure about standing in front of a classroom full of students. And it wasn't the idea of being in front of a group of people. I mean, I had been a pastor for 20 years, a district superintendent for nine years, and so that wasn't the issue, the public speaking part of it. What really just made me feel fearful was the idea that a professor is supposed to know stuff. And I don't know a lot of stuff. I really don't. But, but when you're the professor, you're supposed to know stuff and you're supposed to have answers. And so I, I was feeling insecure and just really nervous about the whole thing and wondering if I was doing the right thing. And, and so I talked to a friend of mine who was in higher education and I was just pouring out all of these fears and insecurities. Man, what do I do if I say something that's wrong? What if I do something and, and it raises questions and I can't answer their questions? And he just looked at me and he said, don't worry about it. He said, they're 18 and 19 years old. They don't know anything. <laughs> so anything you tell them, they don't know any better, right? So it's your classroom. You're the professor. Whatever you say is right. They don't know any better. And I loved that. I mean, that was a great philosophy that I can go in and anything that I say is right. It's a nice theory. The problem was when I got there, the students were not aware of that theory, right? Because they actually think they know stuff. <laughs> they think that they know things, and they're not afraid to tell you if they think you're wrong, right? It, it doesn't matter what your credentials are. It doesn't matter what your experience is. If they've got a different opinion, you're going to know about it. Got to be honest with you, that's a little bit irritating, right? I mean, think about it. You've had those moments where maybe it's with a kid or, or somebody at work, somebody that doesn't have the life experience that you have, they, they don't have the expertise, they don't have the knowledge, but they're going to tell you that you don't know what you're talking about. That's annoying, right? How dare they? 
But as you think about that and what you feel in a moment like that, let's think about how absolutely incredibly absurd and ridiculous it is to tell Jesus, Jesus, that he doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, only someone like Peter could do something that ridiculously obnoxious, right? Jesus has been in conversation uh, with his disciples, and he asked the question, you know, who, what are people saying? You know, what is the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? So, well, some think that you're John the Baptist, come back to life, and other people think that you're the embodiment of Elijah, and, and some people just think you're a, another prophet who has come. And, and then Jesus turns that question around, and he turns it to them, and he says, what about you guys? Who do you say that I am? And of all people, Peter nails it. Peter says, well, you are the Messiah. Peter gets it right. He says, you are the anointed one. You are the one that we have waited for. You are the one that we have expected. Peter gets it. Or at least it seems so for a moment. Because then Jesus starts to talk crazy. Jesus starts to talk about how he is going to be rejected and how he's going to suffer and he's going to be killed and then he's going to rise again after three days. And I can guarantee you they didn't even hear the rise again part because they were so stunned and shocked by the rejection, suffering, killed part of it. And Jesus is just saying this stuff. But Peter knew better because Peter knew what a Messiah is. Peter knew what the Messiah was supposed to do and what the Messiah was supposed to accomplish. He knew that the Messiah was going to come and throw off the oppressors and set their nation free. He knew that the Messiah was going to lead them to victory and to independence. And he believed with all his heart, man, that he was going to follow Jesus right into that place of victory. He was going to follow Jesus right into a place of power and privilege because that's what messiahs do. And Peter knew better. And so Peter does what anyone does who knows better. He takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him. Jesus? Hey, man, you got to stop talking that way. You have got to stop that because that is not how it's going to be. That is not what happens to the Messiah. You're just wrong on this one, Jesus. Everyone knows that the path of the Messiah is one of victory. And, and Jesus, you can't be talking to the crowds that way. I mean, that's just not a good marketing strategy. You have got to rebrand this thing. If you're going to build a crowd and people are going to follow you, this is not how winners think. This is not how winners talk. Jesus, you're wrong. Now, you and I would never do that, would we? We would never rebuke Jesus, would we? But then I wonder about those times 
that we set our own plans and our wishes at the forefront and, and we prioritize our own comfort and our own sense of security and we put those things ahead of our allegiance to Jesus, ahead of everything that he's actually called us to be and to do. I mean, is that really any different than Peter pulling Jesus aside and saying, hey, I know that you said it's going to be this way, but I think you're wrong. <laughs> We're going to do it this way. I know better. What about those moments when the voice of Jesus comes and speaks and says, I want you to look at the world. I want you to look at all the people of the world and see every single one of them as created in the image of God. And I want you to love and serve every single one of them. When Jesus says, I actually want you to love your enemy and to pray for those who persecute you and to bless the people who curse you. And I want you to look through my eyes at every single person, no matter who they are and no matter what they have done, and I want you to love them the way that I love them. And even the people who don't look like you and the people who don't believe like you do and the people that don't behave like you do and the people that don't vote like you do, I want you to love them the way that I love them and I want you to serve them. Well, Jesus, you don't understand. They're the enemy. You don't understand. We have to protect ourselves from those people. Those people are the enemy. They want to destroy us, and we just, we have to fight, and we have to destroy them before they destroy us. Jesus, you don't understand the critical nature of this moment. We know better. For the voice of Jesus comes and says, you know what, I want you to open your eyes to the needs around you. I want you to see those who are among the least of these, and I want you to give of yourself. I want you to sacrifice of yourself to care for them. Because this is the way of my kingdom. And you say, well, but wait, Jesus. We don't want things to get out of hand here, right? I mean, we have to be concerned about our own welfare and our own security and just taking care of ourselves. And I mean, the fruit of good stewardship is that we get to enjoy a really comfortable suburban life, right? Isn't that just part of the kingdom of God? Don't we get that? And to be honest, Jesus, um, you know, a lot of those people, they are where they are because um, they deserve it. You know, they, they've made their own decisions. It's not my problem. And, and you know what? You said the poor are always going to be with us. So, I mean, it's just the reality of life. It's not really my problem. And some of them don't really deserve the help. So I know we got this whole Matthew 25 thing going on, but Jesus, um, we know better. The voice of Jesus comes. It says, I, I want you to look at the world and, and I want you to be moved. I want your heart to be broken by the things that break my heart. And I want you to actually live out the words of the prophet Micah. Just do justice and love mercy and walk humbly. Well, Jesus, you know, that sounds a little radical. 
Sounds a bit extreme to me. I mean, we all know that the world is a mess and it's just going to be that way and it's just going to get worse until you come back. And so there's nothing really we can do to fix anything and it's not really our problem. So we're going to hang out here and just be really safe and secure and just wait for you to come back and fix the whole thing. And we know the words of the prophets and we know what you called us to, but Jesus, we know better. Sometimes the voice of Jesus comes and says, I I want you to move out of your comfortable place beyond your little circle. I I want you to see the people in this world, and I want you to be present with them. I I want you to build relationship with the neglected and the forgotten and the hurting. And we say, well, Jesus, we don't see where that's really necessary. I'm good where I am. I'm good with the people that I know. Man, we've got a great life group, and we've got a great relationship, and that's really all that I need. And after all, we, we need to encourage and be friends with each other. Isn't that enough? I, I don't really feel any need to, to look beyond what I have. Other people can do that, but, but Jesus, I'm good. I know better. Sometimes, you know what, that voice gets really personal. The voice of Jesus comes and says, hey, you know, man, you know that spirit of unforgiveness that you've got? You know what you're holding against that person, that seed of bitterness that's in you? You need to let that go. Well, Jesus, you don't don't understand what they did. I know you talked about this whole forgiveness thing, and, and you know, we really have to forgive to be forgiven, and, but, but you don't understand the circumstances. I know better. The voice comes and says, you, you know that thing that just keeps you up at night, that thing that has burdened you, and you keep so desperately trying to fix it yourself. You need to let it go. And just trust me. You need to quit trying to fix it your way. And you say, but Jesus, no. I, I, I know what needs to be done, and I can fix this, or I can fix them. I can do it my way, and it's going to work. I know better. Or Jesus says, you know, what, that thing that I've asked you to surrender that thing, that circumstance that keeps you in bondage, those plans and those intentions that you so stubbornly hold on to, even though you know that is not my intention for you, that is not my call or my plan for you, you need to let them go. You need to deny yourself and pick up the cross and follow me. Jesus, I'm I'm fine. I've got enough faith and I've got enough religion to be, to be good. I don't need to be any more extreme than I am. I'm fine. I know better. How many times and how many ways have we just said, Jesus, I, I hear what you're saying, but it's not what I want to hear. And I think I know better. 
And so maybe we're more like Peter than we thought. And it probably comes as a shock to us when, when Jesus responds the way that he does. And he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I mean, that's a little harsh, right? Get behind me, Satan. But Jesus hears in the rebuke of Peter echoes of, of the words of the tempter in the wilderness. That voice that, that came in the wilderness that said, you know what, if you're the son of God, use your power to serve your own interests. If you are the son of God, then, then you have the power to do it your way. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to walk the way of the cross. There's another way. There's an easier way. You want the world? I'll give it to you. Use your power to center yourself and do it your way. There's a better way. And how many times do we hear that same voice? And it speaks to us and it tells us that we can live a life of faith without the cross, that we can have our way, that we can remain in control, that we can center our own comfort, our own security, our own desires, and our own plans, and it's all perfectly fine because we can do all that and still be a follower of Jesus. And that when Jesus says here, deny yourself and pick up the cross, and when Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, to be crucified with Christ and to allow Christ to live his life through us, we don't think they're actually that serious. They didn't really mean that. It's an option. Sometimes we think we just know better. So what does this have to do with worship and a life of discipleship? Everything. Because you see, in worship, we answer the question, who do you say I am? That's what we do. We come into worship and we answer the question, who is this God? And we come and we sing and we pray and we listen to the word. And in all of that, we proclaim that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Messiah, that none of this is about us, but that he is Lord and King and he reigns over all that is. And in our worship, we remember and we give thanks for what God has done for us, that God has entered into the world to rescue and to redeem and to restore. And we remember the cross of Jesus, the love and the grace of reconciliation that is ours through the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And in worship, there is this outpouring of gratitude you see, in worship, we, we recognize who God is. He is the Savior. We re remember what God has done, what he has done to rescue us. But you see, there's a third piece here in worship. And this is where some of us, I think, fall short of true worship. Because there's recognition and there's remembrance. 
but there's also response. Because what happens in worship is as we remember who God is and what God has done, we respond to that by renewing our covenant with God as God's people. We renew our covenant and our relationship with God. Because worships, because in worship we say that because of who this God is, because of what this God has done, then this God deserves all of my allegiance and all of my love and all of my life. Because of who this God is and because of what this God has done, I will give myself to this God in absolute allegiance and surrender. I will deny myself and I will pick up the cross and I will walk into the world as the body of Christ allowing Jesus to live his life through me. You see, true worship always has a response. True worship is always a moment of renewing our covenant and saying we will be the people of this God. And so God breathes us in in worship and we remember who he is and what he has done and we renew our covenant and then God breathes us out into the world so that we live as the body of Christ. But you see, the problem is, for some of us, what we tell Jesus on Sunday is different than what we tell Jesus on Monday. Because on Sunday, we're, we're like Peter. We're more than happy to proclaim him the Messiah. We're, we're more than happy to sing the songs, praise the name of the Lord our God, but don't talk to me about picking up the cross. On Sunday, we are more than happy to remember what he has done, and we are more than happy to, to reflect on the cross of Jesus. But on Monday, I, I, I want to direct my own life. You see, if what I do on Sunday, if my participation in the service of worship doesn't result in me living out the sacrificial and self-giving love of Jesus every day, if our worship does not lead us to a life surrendered to the purposes of God, then what I'm doing on Sunday is not the full spirit of worship. What I do here in this place is not the full spirit of worship if it is not embodied in the life that I live. Because worship is not an hour service that we tag on to our weekly schedule. It's not an hour of sitting in a seat that is disconnected from everything else in life. Worship always leads us to a life of surrender. Worship always becomes embodied in a life of obedience to Jesus, a life that is poured out in love for God and love for others. If what we say to Jesus on Sunday and what we say to Jesus on Monday are two different things, then we have yet to experience true worship. One of the churches I pastored early uh, in, in my pastoral career, I, I had a little lady 
she's 82 years old, and she, she played the organ. Um, and I do that deliberately. She played the organ. Um, she couldn't read music. Uh, she could play a little bit by ear. And uh, she would have to go up and down uh, the keyboard one key at a time to find the place to start. And so we would all just sit there while she went up and down the keyboard one key at a time until she found the place to start. Sometimes we sat there for several minutes while she went up and down the keyboard one key at a time. But I'll tell you what, that lady taught me something about worship. Not so much on Sunday. But she taught me a lot about worship on Monday when this 82-year-old lady would walk nearly a mile to the church just to clean the church. She taught me a lot about worship on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays when anyone was sick and she would go and she would make food and then she would carry it. She would walk to their place and give it to them to show love and concern. She taught me about worship and every time there was a need, she would give out of her own poverty. And she would sacrifice herself to care for others. You see, that's a life of true worship. That is a life that says, because of who this God is and what this God has done for me, I am going to give myself fully to this God and let my life become worship. You know, throughout this weekend, I, I have tried in each session to, to give you a practice to do that is formative. And our practice today is quite simple, but also beautiful and profoundly formative, and that's sharing in the Lord's table. And so I, I want us to get ready to, to receive and to share in communion and you know, the Lord's table captures so beautifully everything that we're talking about here this morning. Because it is here at this place that we remember who this God is. This God who has rescued and redeemed us. It's here at the table that we remember what Jesus has done for us. We remember the, the body that is broken, the blood that is poured out. But you know, it's here at the table that we respond. It's here at the table that we come in response to, to who this God is and what God has done. And we say, we are your people. And I give my life to you. We are, are your people, and through the grace that has been offered to us in the body and the blood of Jesus, we have become the body of Christ in the world. And to share in the table is to say, I will be Jesus in the world. My life, just as Jesus poured himself out for us, my life now will be poured out love for God and love for others. I'd ask you just to bow your heads for a moment.
as we prepare ourselves to, to come. Is there any space in your life, any part of your life where Jesus has spoken, but you know better? Is there anything that you have not let go of, anything that you've held on to control? This morning as you come, would you... Would you come in a spirit that says, I am going to deny myself and pick up the cross and follow Jesus? I invite you to come now. If we can start at the back, if you just want to come forward and receive the elements and then return to your seat and we will share in them together. This is communion. Your body Here's my 
Will us bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we ask you to fill uh, this place with the beauty of your presence and your grace. As we together in this moment at your table proclaim uh, the mystery of our faith, that Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ will come again. Lord, give us the grace to respond in a spirit of surrender. Would you pour your spirit out on these elements and make them for us the body and the blood of Christ so that we might become the body of Christ in our world. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body. Give it for you. I'll take this bread and eat it and remember what Christ has done. He said, this cup is my blood, and it's the blood of a new covenant. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Now take the cup and drink it and be glad. Lord, we are so profoundly grateful for who you are and for what you have done. And we ask now for the grace and the power to go into the world and live as the body of Jesus, pouring ourselves out in love for you and love for others. In Christ's name, amen. Well, would you stand? I pray that you will go in the power of the Spirit and live as the body of Jesus in the world. Go in grace, go in peace, and go in the love of Christ. You are dismissed.